You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Marvellous, fantastic. Well, it is an absolute joy to be back with you. Uh, I love coming here. Thank you again for the invitation. Thank you for the warmth, the hospitality, the love. I feel the love when I come to CLM. So thank you so much. And, uh, and uh, appreciate your prayers. Uh, just come from a men's conference. I've been doing up at Grantham. And then tomorrow, as uh, Martin said, heading off to South Africa for a very, very busy time, but a very exciting time of teaching and training. And then, uh, and then straight back with your young adults. So I'm loving that. Ryan offered me a cup of coffee and a donut, and I couldn't resist. Uh, so I said, yes, all right, I'll do that. And so it'll be an absolute joy to serve you guys. And hopefully, uh, can we have the first slide up, guys? That'd be brilliant. Hopefully, now, as you can see on the screen, we are launching a brand new teaching series this morning, which will run for about six weeks, including today. And as you can see from the screen, the title of the series is Faith That works. Turn to someone and say, faith that works. Come on. Um, And it's such an important series. It's going to be based in the book of James. So we're going to spend all our time there unpacking some principles. And it's my joy to open that up and uh, perhaps lay the foundation for the proper teaching that will come later as people unpack uh, chapters one to five of the book of James. James is an amazing book and, uh, and actually has a lot to say to us in the 21st century. So if you've got a Bible with you, that's where we're going to go right now. So if you want to open it up, find the book of James, get it open on your tablet or your phone, or if you've got a a Bible like mine, an actual physical Bible, I'll give you a moment to find that. And this morning, I'm going to be speaking on this idea. To introduce the series, I, I, I just want to get you to grab one idea, really, and it's this. Faith has a face. Okay, now I, I, that's the bit. If you, if you forget other bits I say today, if you hang on to that idea as you move into the book of James, it'll guide you. Faith has a face. And that's really, really important as we begin to look at the book of James. So I've got a reading for you, and I'm going to read uh, from uh, one main passage, but we'll kick off on the very first verse. So it says this, James chapter 1, verse 1. And it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's lovely there, let's just pause for a moment. The James here is the half-brother of Jesus. Same mother, different dad. (laughs) And James, what's really gorgeous about the story of James is that you pick up the vibe that when Jesus was in the full flow of his ministry, James, with his other brothers, was a wee bit cynical, a wee bit skeptical. They were sort of on the fringes, really, and pushing back a little bit. And I think there's enough in the Gospels to show us that that's going on. What's really beautiful here is how he describes himself. Look at this. Magnificent words. He describes himself as a servant of God and of his (laughs) half-brother, the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And then if you could skip across to chapter 2, verse 14. And he says this, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. 
If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing to help his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way. Now, that's the key phrase there. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless or dead? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. The Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Okay, that's the reading that we're going to look at in just a moment. And, and here's the challenge as we enter into the book of James. Um, that we've got to sort of get out of the way. We have to deal with this before we deal with everything else in the book of James. And it's this, his, his sort of unique selling point, the big message of his message, is also potentially, if you don't understand it properly, is his unique sticking point. It becomes a bit of a problem for us as we move through. And many lovely followers of Jesus and many Christians have become a bit confused when they've read James because James seems to be contradicting other bits they've read in the New Testament especially. So, uh, James' unique selling point, if you like, in the context of his message is this. He says, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Now, if you're reading that and you've read other bits of the New Testament, maybe bits that Paul has written, uh, that immediately presents you with a little bit of a challenge because James seems to be saying something different from what Paul has said a little bit earlier on. And the two men seem to be at loggerheads. Uh, and James here, in trying to get a point across to us that faith has a face, he says it in such a way that if we don't get what he's saying, it sounds like he's contradicting one of the big messages of the New Testament. So we've got to understand what he means by this and perhaps what Paul meant by what he said so that we can help ourselves really get the pulse of the book of James. Are you with me? So, actually, here's the big contradiction point, potentially. This is, this is Paul's big message. So, if James's big message is the idea that actually uh, we're not just justified by faith, we're justified by works, Paul's big message, the big message he's famous for above all messages in the New Testament is the just will live by faith. 
the just will live by faith. And he repeats that in different ways throughout his teaching. In fact, he writes to the, book of, uh, to, to, to the church at Galatia, and he says this even more emphatically. He says, clearly, no one is justified before God by the law. That's by acts of righteousness or deeds. Because the righteous will live by faith. So he says in Romans to the church in Rome, the righteous will live by faith. In Galatians, because he's unpacking that a little bit to an audience that's being, being pursued by people who, who really believe you've got to keep the law before you become a Christian, uh, Paul's a bit more emphatic about this and a bit stronger. And he makes it absolutely clear. We are saved by faith alone. Amen? So as a follower of Jesus... You've got here, not because of anything you did, but because of what he did. Amen. So you're, as it were, a follower of Jesus, forgiven, set free, received the grace of God, and on your way to heaven, because of what Jesus did, there's nothing I can do, there is nothing I have done that can get me into that category. Okay, no matter how hard I try, that's a big Bible message. I can work my buns off, but I'm never going to hit the mark that God desires. So what Jesus did in dying on the cross for us was enabled us to hit that mark through His righteousness, not through ours. Come on now. So, so if you're a follower of Jesus, if, if you're in a place of blessing, it's not because you're cool or you're clever or because you've worked harder than your next door neighbor who's not in church this morning. It's because Jesus Christ gave his all for you, full of grace, full of mercy, full of truth, and full of love, and enabled you to stand in his righteousness and be saved. All right? Now, that's Paul's big message. That's what Paul is saying. James seems to be nobbling at the edges of that. He seems to be pushing back on Paul a little bit. And if he is, we've got a problem in the New Testament because you've got two big hitters here contradicting each other. This was a bit of a problem for a man called Martin Luther, good-looking chap, right? Come on. It's like looking in a mirror, isn't it? Um, a good-looking man, uh, Martin Luther. Now, Martin Luther's famous, of course, for sort of sparking what we call the Protestant Reformation. And he, he nailed his 95 Theses on the wall of the church on the 31st of October, 1517. And so began a revolution that some would say has enabled me and you to be here today in this particular context. Now, Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic priest committed to a life of, of, of liturgy and works uh, and righteousness. I mean, he's a proper hardcore person. Uh, and we're talking penance. We're talking, you know, suffering. We're, we're talking, you know, climbing up the steps of the building on your knees, all of that sort of stuff. This is a serious man. And it's while he's on his knees climbing up the steps to a church, he gets a revelation from Romans chapter 1. From this statement of Paul, the just shall live by faith. And the story goes that he writes the word align or alone in German in the margin of his Bible. The just shall live by faith alone. 
And that became Martin Luther's big message. But a bit like Paul, and that became the heartbeat of the Protestant Reformation. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by stuff we do. We're not even saved by stuff the church does for us. We're saved by the righteousness of Jesus alone. The just shall live by faith alone. The just shall live by faith alone. And so when Martin Luther started to study the, the book of James, he freaked out a little bit initially. I think he got over it eventually, but he called the book of James a right straw epistle. And the reason for that was he felt that James was contradicting Paul, that all that Martin Luther had worked for and, and strived in in terms of this justification by faith alone, he felt like James was unraveling that. And of course, the truth is, he, he wasn't. And we might want to ask the question, is it Paul or is it James? As followers of Jesus, we come to the conclusion it's both. But we've got to understand what both men mean, because both messages are absolutely crucial to being a dynamic follower of Jesus in a 21st century world in a hope to not only serve Jesus, but represent Him. And the idea here that we really need to look at is not so much what the two men meant by faith, but what they meant by works. What is going on here when Paul talks about not doing works of, of righteousness, and James seems to talk about doing works of righteousness? Now, one of the clues to help us, and stay with me now, because I know this is a wee bit uh, technical, is that, uh, interestingly, James has used Abraham as an example of someone who's not just a person of faith, but a person of works. Paul uses exactly the same person as an example of justification by faith. And here's what Paul says of Abraham um, in Galatians. He says this, okay? He says, consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, so that those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay, now, that almost sounds really similar to James. Uh, and Paul is using, in order to back up this idea that the just will live by faith, he's using Abraham almost in the same way that James is using him. And here's the clue. Here's, here's what's going on here. Abraham is a really good example of this because he's pre-law. So Abraham lives by faith before Moses gave the law. Abraham is justified, that's used James's language, Abraham is justified by works before the law. In other words, Abraham taps into something that isn't anything to do with how we obey the law, it's to do with how faith works. So what Paul is drawing us back to is an example of faith before Moses gave the law. What James is drawing us back to is an example of works of faith before Moses gave the law. And actually, they're drawing this dynamic idea from this one man and helping us to do that. So Paul says, using Abraham as an example, the just shall live by faith. James says, using Abraham as an example, uh, 
actually, my, my faith is seen in the things that I do. Who's right? Both of them are. And actually, as we unpack this, we see this dynamic truth. So, so to help us unpack this, we've got to go one step back even further. Sorry about this. But we'll go back to Habakkuk. Now, some of you may have come across Habakkuk. Maybe you haven't. He's, a, he's what we call a minor prophet in the Old Testament. Now, that doesn't mean he's, he's lesser than the big prophets. It just means his message was a bit smaller uh, in the context of what he said. And Habakkuk is the first person to use this phrase. The just shall live by faith. And in fact, what happens is Paul picks up on Habakkuk. He takes his phrase and he draws it into the New Testament. Now, when you see a New Testament writer pulling an idea from the Old Testament into the New Testament, it's really worthwhile to go back to the original idea and ask the question, what did it mean in its original context? Because that might be a clue to understand how it's being used forward. Now, that doesn't always work, but nine times out of ten, that'll work. And to help me, it sort of works here. When Habakkuk says, in his world, the just shall live by faith, here's the context. He's got a, he's got a nation that is rejecting God. He's got a nation that is turning away from what he would call the Torah, the Word of God, the heartbeat of God, what God really wants, what God really loves, what God's really after, to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. Uh, that's what God's after. And actually, in the world that Habakkuk lives, people are turning away from that. They are rejecting the Word of God. And in fact, Habakkuk says these words that are sometimes uh, quoted completely out of context. And here's what he says. Though it linger. Now, what he means by that is, though the Word of God linger, though the purpose of God lingers, though it doesn't look like it's happening, he says this, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. And it's in that context that he says, the just will live by faith. So, so the context of Habakkuk's world is people are rejecting the word of the Lord. He's speaking to the nation and he's saying, don't let go of what God has said. Hold on to it. Cling on to it. Wait for it and it will come to pass. Why? Because the just live by faith. They don't live by what they see. They don't live by what's around them. They don't live by what they want. They live according to what God once. Are you with me? They live according to what God wants. And as if to ram that idea home, he gives to us a whole series of sort of woes. Now, this is really important. This will bring us back to James. He, say, he starts off by saying, woe to him. Now, look at this as I unpack them for you, a series of woes. He says, first of all, woe to him who piles up stolen goods. So this is the social and political context of his day. Secondly, he says, woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain. Thirdly, he says, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed. Verse 12. Fourthly, he says, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors. The implication is, uh, gets his neighbors drunk. It's not like inviting them around for some wine and cheese. It means uh, getting your neighbors blasted, okay? 
Lastly, he says, woe, uh, sorry, woe to him who says to wood, come to life. So John, where are you going with this? Well, here's, here's where I'm going with this. Habakkuk teaches us that faith looks like something. So in Habakkuk's world, there were lots of people who said, I believe in Yahweh. I believe in the Lord. I believe in God. But they were piling up stolen goods. They were building a realm with unjust gain. They were building a city with bloodshed. They were getting their neighbors drunk, and they were making false idols. And here's what Habakkuk's saying. You can't say you live by faith and behave like that. So Habakkuk's statement, the just shall live by faith, is not a wispy concept. He's challenging actual behavior in his world. He's saying, if you believe you live by faith, everyone should be able to see that. Everyone should be able to get it. Everyone should know you love God because you don't pile up stolen goods. You don't build a city on unjust gain. You don't build a city in bloodshed. You don't get your neighbor drunk. You're not making a false idol to use his exact woes. He's saying, actually, if you're behaving like that, you can say you have faith. You can say you love God. You can say that he's the center, but he's not. And so Habakkuk is actually giving us this first context of this understanding of this phrase, the just shall live by faith. He's saying this, how do we know you're living by faith? Because you tell us? No. I'm not believing your PR. I'm going to look at the evidence of your lifestyle. Does your actions line up with your confession? If they do, here's what he's saying. You're living by faith. Come on. You're living by faith. And that's the idea Habakkuk captures. Actually, that is exactly the same idea Paul captures. Paul, for Paul, just like Habakkuk, faith looked like something. And the evidence of this is back in the book of Galatians. Look at these words that Paul gives to us. Powerful, powerful evidence of this idea. He says, the only thing that counts is faith. Now, if we stop there, we've got a problem. But he goes on and says this. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, that's Paul saying what Habakkuk said. It's exactly the same thing. He's saying, how do I know, Galatians, that you're living by faith? Because you tell me? Because you filled in a decision card? Because you attend a small group? No, no. Paul says, the reason I know you're living by faith is because I can see love expressed in your everyday behavior. I can see your faith. Why? Because faith has a face. So Paul isn't, and Habakkuk isn't arguing that my good deeds are getting me on God's side and making me righteous. No, no, they're arguing the very opposite to that. They're saying, if you've already got faith, you will be expressing that faith in the actions and works of love 
in the world in which you live. And the damning and challenging conclusion of the worldview of the Bible is this. If you're not doing it, you don't believe it. I have to say, I'm not feeling the love so much now. People can say all day long, it's what I believe. And people say a lot of stuff. People believe they believe a lot of things. The Bible brings us back to this relentless idea. Faith has a face. If you have faith, everyone's going to know. Not because you put on Facebook, you've got faith. Ah, that's cool. I do that. That's all right. But actually, that, that's just one, one aspect. But, but by the way you treat your wife, if you're a man, but by the way you treat your, your husband, by the way you treat your kids, by the way you go to work, by the way you do your work, by the way you approach injustice in the community you live in, by the way you address the practical everyday issues of the world surrounding you. That's the evidence. Do I actually have faith or not? The just shall live by faith because we can see it. Faith has a face. Now, if you're prepared to accept my argument of Habakkuk and Paul, then actually when we come to James, it's a no-brainer. James is just wrapping that big idea up in his own way. And so what James is saying to us is this. Actually, faith looked like something for James as well in a powerful and dynamic way. Look at how James puts it. I will show you my faith by what I do. Let me show you how much I believe. Let me show you how much I believe by the way I treat my world. Let me show you how much I believe by the way I'm committed to, to, to righted injustice. Let me show you how much I believe by the way I behave when you're not looking. Let me show you the way I believe by the way I order my finances, by the way I treat my friends, by the way I address my neighbors, by the way, by the way I deal with things that I don't particularly like in the world in which I live. That actually my faith is expressing itself all of the time. And, and he uses two incredible examples of that, Abraham and Rahab. I mean, you couldn't get two different examples. Abraham, man of God, you know, father of the faithful, all of that going on. Rahab, prostitute. But James, I believe, deliberately uses two contrasting examples because the principle is what he's driving at. It's not the person we're drawn to. It's the behavior we're drawn to. Abraham is justified by his faith because his actions are are aligned with that faith. And in fact, the Bible teaches us that because of that, his actions are literally credited to him as righteousness. In other words, we can see God in him and through him. In the same way that Rahab the prostitute made a decision of faith, how do we know she did something? She put her life on the line for this faith. She believed that God was going to do something in her city, and she lined up with it, and she did something. And as a result, she was not only saved, literally saved, but she was saved, grafted into the line of Jesus. Amazing. Her name's mentioned in a genealogy that concludes with Jesus. Why? Because she not only believed something, but she did something. 
That's a really, really important idea. Here's the big idea I want you to take away today. This is, if you forget everything I've said, don't forget this bit. This is really, really, really important. That when we talk about works in the book of James, we're not talking about works for righteousness. We're talking about works of righteousness. One little word. Some people will say, I'm playing with semantics, but that one little word change changes everything. So here's what it's saying. My works of righteousness are not to earn the favor of God, but they are expressing the favor of God. My works of righteousness aren't me earning faith or getting faith or working for faith. The opposite is the case. James is saying, my works of righteousness are actually expressing I've got faith. It's coming out of me because it's there. That's James' big idea. And if you can get that, everything you read in the book of James will make sense to you. Why? Because he's trying to say to us, if you have faith, if you believe you're the just that's living by faith, then here's how you'll behave. Here's how you'll behave. Here's how you'll behave. And if you're not behaving like that, you don't believe it. Yes? He said, I mean, at one point, he makes this brutal argument. Uh, what good is it if I say to a person who's hungry and without clothes, oh, God bless you? What good's that to a hungry, naked person? It's no good, is the answer. James says, in the same way. He's saying, if you claim to have faith, but there's nothing going on in your behavior, here's what James is saying to us. Really, I mean, don't beat me up afterwards. He wrote it. Here's what James is saying. You ain't got faith. You've got a concept of belief, but not faith. Because faith will express itself in love. Faith will move into actions. Not works for righteousness, but works of righteousness. Are you with me? Okay, so as we land this, just, just uh, some practical uh, application to this, and then we're done, okay? So faith has a face, but what, what does it look like? Here's what James says, and this is really, really important for us. Without faith, uh, uh, sorry, without works, faith is lifeless. Look at his language, verses 17 and 26, virtually repeats himself. He says, without actions, my faith is useless or dead. And that's often been one of the criticisms leveled at religion, leveled at the church. That actually, uh, you guys believe stuff, but you don't, we, we don't see it. It's not translating into the normal everyday world in which we live. And yet, actually, that's what Jesus was committed to. That's what I believe His church is committed to, to making our faith live in the world in which we live. I know you believe, you know you believe, but does your neighbor know you believe? And I don't mean because you've witnessed to them, I mean because you've worked before them. And here's what James is saying, lifeless really means powerless. Our faith without actions has no power. 
It's just an idea. Come on now. You with me? It's just talk. There's nothing to it. No substance. Here's the second idea that James gives us, that without works, faith is incomplete. Incredible idea, this. He's actually saying to me that if what I claim to believe doesn't find expression in what I do, that there's no completion to that faith cycle. It just remains concept, idea, religious dogma. It's, it's something trapped in my own brain, but it never works out to my everyday world. And James says, if I don't do something about what I claim to believe, then that claim to belief remains unfinished, incomplete. And therefore, I would argue, is totally insecure. Faith that doesn't express itself in actions is, a, is an argument, an idea, and a concept that can, be, that can be argued against, can be overruled, can be pushed back on. But when I believe something to such an extent that I do something about it, it completes it. And that's a, an important idea for us. Here's the third idea, and I'm drawing this to a close. Without works, faith is invisible. And James actually tells us this in the idea of this, this passage. He says, verse 18, I will show you my faith. Verse 22 and 24, you see you see, you can see this from Abraham. You can see this from Rahab. We know they had faith because of what we see. Their faith became visible. How do we know God loves us? Because he told us no. Because he showed us. Jesus became flesh, and died on the cross. This is God saying, this is how much I believe in you. This is how much I believe in humanity. This is how much I love you. I'm prepared to do something visible. It literally lives before us. It is outstanding because we're doing something about it. Yep. Oh, well, the Lord knows I love him. Well, what, how does he know? Because you tell them, oh, for goodness sake, come on. People hide behind their words all the time. That's why James is so strong on this. That's why Paul and Habakkuk got in the faces of the people that they led. Because people say stuff. I love God. Prove it. I love my wife. Show it. I love this church. Once you make a faith claim, once it comes out of your mouth, we got to do something about it, or it's not real. We think it's real because it's in our brain, but until it becomes visible, until it becomes action, until it becomes something that finds expression in a transformed lifestyle and in a way we treat the world around us, it is not 
real. It is not transforming. It is not complete. And it is not visible. And if it's not visible, I would say this. It is actually to our world. And can I say this even to us? It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Why? Because it's just an idea. And God didn't commit himself to just ideas. He wanted to build something in a community in the Old Testament called Israel. He wants to build something in the, in the New Testament community called the church. He wants the world to see something. He wants them to see our faith, see our light, see our love, see our generosity, see what we claim to believe. We've been singing about the God who's beautiful, the God who's magnificent, the God who's first and last, the God who loves us, the God who's given so much of us. Well, our world needs to see that. And they will see it because we take the belief and live it. We live it before them. They may not come here, but we'll go there. And we live it before them. So faith has a face. It's not just a cool idea or a theological concept or, 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 or something that we feel. Faith has a face. It looks like something. It looked like something in Habakkuk's day. It looked like something for Paul expressing itself through love. And it looks like something for James. James says, I know you claim to have faith, but let me see it. Let me see it. Let me see it in the way you talk, in the way you behave, in the way you use your money, in the way you look at the issues of, of your world, in the way you engage with this community, in the way you engage with your wider community. James says, that's the proof that we have faith. And the Lord believed in us so much that he did something. That's how we know. And he's just looking for the same idea. He's not looking for you to be perfect. He's not looking for perfect acts of righteousness. He's just looking for me and you to live out what we claim. He's, he's, he's not looking that, that you and I should, should, should sort of be like everybody else and, uh, and behave like others behave. He's asking you to be, to be honest about what you believe and to allow what we claim to believe to be worked out. And as we make the journey with James over the next five weeks now, you'll, you'll hear that echo over and over and over again. Oh, you claim to have faith. Well, don't discriminate against the rich and the poor. Well, don't discriminate against the black and the white. Against male and female. You claim to have faith. Well, listen, resolve your conflict sensibly. You claim to have faith, treat each other with honor. You claim to have faith, actually bring your needs to the center of this community. You claim to have faith, and on and on and on he goes. All the time he's saying, now come on, let me see your face. Let me see your face. Show me your face. Show me your face. Really what he's saying is show me your faith. Show me your faith through your face. Show me your faith through your actions. Show me your faith by what you do. That's the challenge. That's, I find that the most wonderful, glorious, difficult challenge of being a follower of Jesus. Because I could hide behind the concepts all day long. I could live in a library, read a book, be thrilled by knowledge. 
But James says, at some point, what I think I believe in my library has to work in the everyday world. What I, what I think of, of understood in the Bible has to find its face in my street. What I think I believe here in a worship service has to find its expression everywhere I am and everywhere I go. Why don't you stand with me? Let me pray for you. I know some of this has been pretty tough. May have felt at times a wee bit sort of oh, clunky and technical. But it's so important. James's words aren't random. It's part of a golden thread of a message that's been going on for hundreds of years before. It's always been the heart of God that his community who claimed to believe in him would express their faith in him in the world in which they live. The prophets wanted it. Habakkuk wanted it. Paul understood it. Oh, the righteousness that gets it to heaven, that's Jesus. But the righteousness that expresses the fact that heaven is in us, well, that's our actions. We're not working for righteousness. Our works are an expression of righteousness. And so as I pray, I just want to pray for you that the Lord will help you over these next few weeks. Because here's what's going to happen. Holy Spirit's going to get in your face about what you, you really believe. Not what you think you believe. Do I really believe this? Well, here's the proof that I really believe it. I'm doing something. And over these next few weeks, for some of you, it's going to be a wee bit painful. Don't run away from the pain. The pain will save you. Don't run away and back off. Face honestly the mirror that you look in so that you can actually understand, Lord, I, I really do believe this. And therefore, I'm going to put a face to this faith. And if at the end of this series, you put face to aspects of your faith, you will change, your world will change, this community will change because you're doing what you say you believe. So Holy Spirit, thank you for this wonderful book. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the uncompromising message of James, a message that affirms us and shows us we're loved but a message that also drills down into the very core of what faith is. It's not a concept, an idea, a religious fad, a feeling. It is solid. It is life-giving. It is glorious. It is magnificent. And it always finds a way to our face. Holy Spirit, I pray for each one of us as we face the challenges over the next four, five, six weeks, as we talk in life groups, as we listen to different studies, as we reflect on the truth that we're stumbling over in the book of James. Oh God, I pray that we will have the courage to listen to what you say, that we will have the courage to obey what you say, that we won't be like the man who looks in the mirror and then forgets what he saw. But we will be people who say, I believe that. 
I believe that. I really believe that. And therefore, I will put a face to that. Holy Spirit, I pray that this church will have a face of faith. I pray that in its community, that there will be a face of faith. Even tonight, as we come together to pray for the city, there will be, as a result of it, an expression of a face that will come out of this. Not just a belief in a room filled with wonderful Christians, but something that finds expression in the everyday, the ordinary, the routine, the normal. That, Lord, the face of faith will be seen by the world around us. And so, Lord Jesus, help us to walk by faith. Help us to truly live what we believe so that in all things you are honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.